everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Discovery. My name's Tom Morris. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really excited to be kicking off our sermon series on the body. In this series, we'll be looking at part of a letter written by St. Paul, who we often refer to as the Apostle Paul. It's written to a group of believers and skeptics in a city called Corinth. It's a letter full of frustration and celebration as Paul tries to explain what being a Christian and being a church is supposed to look like to a group of people who, quite frankly, hadn't been Christians or a church for very long. But before we dive into the message, I do want to take a few minutes and update you all on some things that are happening here at Discovery. Many of you know that I serve as the executive pastor here. Some of you, maybe many of you, have no idea what an executive pastor does. And it's okay if you don't. I've been in this role now in, uh, in, for, uh, in my fourth year, and I don't always know what I do. Uh, But I can tell you that I have oversight of our staff and our finances and our property and property resource, uh, property and building resources. And over the past 15 months, a lot of my time has been spent trying to navigate the changing landscape of ministry in a church in a time of great uncertainty, especially the economic uncertainty. So we went into the pandemic season a little over 15 months ago in the midst of a campaign that was designed to remove barriers to growth. We, and most of those barriers were physical. They had to do with the size of this building and the way it was configured and our parking lot and things like that. Uh, We're emerging 15 months later, now navigating a whole different set of barriers. Some are still physical but there are also now uh, spiritual and emotional ones as well. Barriers created by a global pandemic and a highly polarized society. Needless to say, a lot's changed. Last week, Steve Cuss, our lead pastor, gave an update, and he mentioned a declining trend in giving and some budget cuts uh, we were making to adjust what our current financial reality is as a church. So I wanted to let you know that this week we took some action with our staff. We eliminated several staff positions. And anytime you do that, it results in really good people that were laid off from their jobs here at Discovery. So we posted a video on YouTube that gives a lot more detail about the, the reduction in our staff. It also gives an update on our sort of our financial situation as a church and our unfinished campaign initiatives and what our next steps are there. Anytime you make a decision with your staff, it's difficult. It's never easy. But our staff leaders and our elders felt like this was the necessary move to right-size our staff to our current reality as we're navigating emerging from COVID, summer in Colorado, and a lead pastor transition. So we really appreciate your prayers and your support as we adjust together to a church, as a church, to the challenges and opportunities, because there will be both. We'll face them together in the next several months. 
So the New Testament is a part of the Bible. It's a story in two parts. The first part is about Jesus. It's insights into his life and his ministry. It's four books that we call gospels. They're basically biographies. And they're written by people who either knew Jesus personally or people who knew people who knew Jesus personally. The second part provides insight into the life and ministry of those early followers of Jesus as they spread the good news of Jesus around the world and created outposts of God's kingdom here on earth. The source for those insights comes entirely from letters, from correspondence. Letters written by leaders who had carried the gospel all over the world, encountering different cultures, different political systems and belief systems. They're letters that are written to convince, to convict, to correct, and encourage believers throughout the Roman Empire in the second half of the first century. The overwhelming majority of this correspondence belongs to one man, Paul of Tarsus. He's a skeptic turned convert through a dramatic encounter with Jesus, and he traveled extensively at great personal cost and risk to establish communities of God's kingdoms in small towns and major cities on the trunk lines of commerce. And one of the cities, many cities he's traveled to and worked in, was the great commercial center of Corinth. Now, Corinth in the first century A.D., is a city on the rise. Ancient Corinth had been a member of the famous Greek city-state structure, but the Romans had conquered and destroyed Corinth in 146 B.C., about 200 years before Paul shows up and starts walking the streets. It was rebuilt 100 years after it had been destroyed by Julius Caesar, which happened to be just a couple years before his own assassination. Therefore, the city was dedicated to Caesar. It was a cosmopolitan city. It had people who were of Roman, Greek, and Jewish ancestry. It was the perfect place for someone like Paul to create a community of followers of Jesus. Corinth was well connected to the world through shipping. It sits on a narrow strip of land with access to the Mediterranean trading ports from the east and the west. It was a prominent center uh, it was a, political of, a city of political influence and spiritual power, a prominent center for the worship of Apollo, the Greek god of the sun, and especially Aphrodite, the goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation, if you know what I mean. Her temple on the mountain overlooking Corinth was a notoriously popular destination for travelers of the ancient world, sort of a Las Vegas of its day. Aphrodite's the divine protector and the patron deity of Corinth. And judging from some of the issues that Paul has to address when he writes to the church at Corinth, her influence in the city's culture is still very strong. So in many ways, the Corinth of Paul's day could be Denver, or any other North American metro area of our day. Similar values, freedom, and commercial success. And the idea that success indicates spiritual favor, they're common to all of us. 
our relentless pursuit of pleasure, comfort, and beauty, something else we have in, con in common with ancient Corinth. One of the ways these values are expressed in our setting is in the time and resources we pour into the image of our own bodies. Just a quick internet search would tell you that the personal fitness industry is valued in 2020 at nearly $100 billion annually. In 1903, an 11-year-old Italian immigrant named Angelo Siciliano, which is a fun name to say, settled with his family in Brooklyn, New York. He became a leather worker and developed a keen interest in improving his physique. He recalls being bullied because of his small stature, referred to himself as a 97-pound weakling. His determination and hard work paid off, and in 1921, he was recognized as America's most perfect man by a popular fitness magazine. He went on to work at Coney Island as a strongman and began building his own business, selling his physical fitness regimen through the mail, launching one of the most iconic and long-lasting marketing campaigns in history. You don't know him as Angelo Siciliano, though. You know him by a different name, a name inspired by a character from Greek mythology whose great strength held up the heavens. And you've probably seen this marketing campaign if you've ever opened a comic book. His name is Charles Atlas. And be honest now, is there any guy in the audience, I can't speak for the ladies on this one, but is there any guy in the audience, especially if you were born in the last century, that didn't at some point think seriously about sending away for Charles Atlas's course? I mean, we all wanted that physique to be the hero of the beach, to be the, a real man, I think is, his girlfriend says, uh, in the advertisements. You know who you are. You're, you're with me. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is trying to reason with a community of believers and skeptics about their need for an unhealthy fascination with spiritual power. And in the midst of this teaching about the nature of spiritual gifts, the dangers of misunderstanding or misuse of spiritual gifts, Paul resorts to an analogy to illustrate a point. And it may be the most famous analogy of Paul's ministry. He describes the community of faith he has helped create and shape with this analogy, starting in verse 12. Let's look together at what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There's one body, but it has many parts. But all its parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We are all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body. It doesn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. Suppose the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? 
God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, there, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts. There is only one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it's just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. The parts that are, we think are less important, we treat with special honor. The private parts, and yes, that means exactly what it sounds like it means, aren't shown. They are treated with special care. The parts that can be shown don't need special care. But God has put together all the parts of the body, and He has given more honor to the parts that didn't have any. In that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. The parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will care, take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you has a part in it. Now, Paul often uses illustrations. In this case, technically, this is a metaphor to make his point. These illustrations are generally common, observable figures from the everyday lives of people he's writing to. Some of his other letters, he uses athletes or soldiers or farmers to help his readers understand how to live out the teachings of Jesus and engage with the mission of the church. In this metaphor, the human body serves as a reflection of how the body of Christ, the church, is formed and functioned. Paul is making an appeal for unity in the midst of a diverse, and dare we say it, contentious community. In choosing the human body as the metaphor for the church, he connects to something important in the lives of the Corinthian people, physical health and wellness, just like us. You see, with all of its worship of Apollo and Aphrodite and the, and the uh, Roman emperors, just outside the city of Corinth, there's a sanctuary. It's dedicated to healing in the honor of the Greek god of medicine, Asclepius. Now, you may not be familiar with that particular Greek deity, but I'll bet you know it's his symbol. It's a rod with a serpent wrapped around it. You see, Paul taps into their awareness of the body to illustrate the importance of working together in harmony and unity. The study of medicine in ancient Greek culture focused on the belief that the body was healthy if the appropriate balance of humors was in place. Not humor, because some of you might worry about having the balance of humor, but humors. Uh, there, there's an image on the screen. The Famous physician Hippocrates is credited with developing this theory of the four humors and laying the foundation for the practice of healing arts in Greek culture. An imbalance in these humors, which are just the liquid components of your body, this, uh, this message is going to rate high in our middle school boy audience. After pro talking about private parts, we're also talking now about blood and bile and phlegm. Um, if, you were, if those things were not in balance, this created physical problems that could only be corrected or cured by restoring that balance. Some of you may be familiar with the Hippocrates through the Hippocratic Oath, a 
to do no harm, which is still the ethical foundation of modern medical practice. These Corinthian citizens who are now being shaped into citizens of God's kingdom, they're the ancestors of all of us who struggle with our own body image. They would have sent away for Charles Atlas's program uh, had they op- had the opportunity. And I'd like to go back to the passage we just read and notice a few negative sort of references. In verse 14, Paul says, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In verse 15, he points out a part that says, I am not a hand. And in verse 16, I am not an eye. Verse 19, he says, if all the parts are the same, how could there be a body? There's Verse 21, he's, that there are parts of the body saying to other parts, I don't need you. And in verse 25, the parts of the body will not take sides. There's no division in this body in its healthy state. And in verse 26, there's no individual or isolated suffering or rejoicing that these things come in community in a healthy body. You see, Paul's drawing attention to the ways that the Corinthian church is out of balance. Their humors are off. Exclusion, prejudice, harsh judgment, these are not natural in the body of Christ, just as the loss of hands and feet and eyes are not natural in the human body. Now, Paul's point in these verses is more universal than just the surrounding context. If we were to go back and look at the beginning of chapter 12, we would see Paul writing about disputes over spiritual gifts or spiritual power in the church. He says these produce this imbalance and ill health. But this metaphor, this illustration is a cautionary tale about anything, any issue that brings exclusion or cutoff or dismemberment to the body. Sure, this text is tightly tied to the preceding verses that specifically deal with the role and importance of spiritual gifts in the church, a topic that can be as charged today as it was in first century Corinth. But it also addresses our quests personally for power and control, our desire for significance and recognition. These things can be used by God in many positive and kingdom-building ways that they can also produce disruption, chaos, and leave division in their wake and raises the question, what if a body isn't healthy? What if it's broken? And what good is a body that's broken? On August 24th, 2020, I personally came face-to-face with one of my worst nightmares. It was a Monday. That wasn't the nightmare. (laughs) I had completed a full day of work, which for me often means a lot of meetings. Some of you might think that's the nightmare, but that's that's okay. That's actually a big part of my job. We begin the day with a stand-up meeting at 845. This is a practice we started as we were shutting down the the building, uh, the barn here, uh, because of COVID. We would gather together as a staff on Zoom. We would provide some updates and essential information and just start our work week together. Mondays are also a day that I have several meetings with staff members. 
This particular Monday was significant because it was the first day that a new group of residents began their residency training with us. That wasn't the nightmare either. I actually love our residency program and believe really strongly in our approach to residency and direct involvement in training a new generation of church leaders. So actually, this Monday was a pretty good day. And after that day of meetings, I happened to be working here in the building. Um, I went home to my wife, Rachel. Also, not the nightmare, just so you know. We actually, this week, we'll celebrate our 31st wedding anniversary. So not a nightmare at all. Um, So our routine, especially during COVID, was after dinner to kind of sit down and veg out in front of the TV. We might have been talking about what thing to watch and discussing various parts of our day. And I was walking across the room, and without warning, I just collapsed on the floor of our living room and proceeded to experience a grand mall type of seizure. Rachel springs into action. She's trying to keep me safe, call 911. An ambulance responds, and eventually I come back to reality as I'm being wheeled out of my house on a stretcher, loaded into an ambulance. To me, it felt like a few minutes. It had been almost an hour. I had no idea what had happened. I received great care from St. Anthony's North Emergency Department, but left it early the next morning with no real answers. I had no history of seizures, but obviously something had changed. I'd always prided myself on being healthy. I exercised. I ate reasonably, um, mostly avoiding big risk factors that contributed to my family's long history of heart disease. But something was up, something inside of me, hidden, was silently affecting my health, and it showed up that night. Some part of my brain staged its own rebellion, conspired against me, and threw me to the floor of my living room, convulsing uncontrollably. Over the next several months, I saw a neurologist and a cardiologist. I went through a battery of tests and scans. The pictures became clearer. I now know that I have a seizure disorder along with a condition called vasovagal syncope, which if you're going to have a condition, that one is a fun one to say. There was no more denying that my body does not always work in harmony and unity, especially after experiencing this episode that threw my body into chaos. And that was a particularly disturbing thought for me and for my wife. I think one of the ways I felt it most was in, I wasn't able to drive for three months. And I got so angry. And I I just got, and I expressed it by being angry at all the other drivers on the road. And I'm kind of that way without, before the seizure, I was kind of that way anyhow. But I got pretty irrational, like believing that I was a better driver than everybody else on the road, even if I were having a seizure, I would have been a better driver than (laughs) My wife put up with a lot during that (laughs) period. I'm now on medication, and I've had no repeat episodes. If I'm making nervous standing here this morning, I assure you I'm fine. I'm going to have a monitoring device implanted to check my heart activity for a couple of years. 
I may need a pacemaker. You may wonder, why is he sharing all of this? Here's the point. You should feel sorry for me. (laughs) It's been a rough year. No, that's actually not the point. Thank goodness. The point is this, that we're healthy until we know that we're not. We, we go through this life with the illusion that we're healthy until something points out to us the fact that we're not actually healthy. And I want to take a moment and just recognize that there are people in this room or watching online, this has been their experience for a long time. Something I'm just learning in the last few months has been their experience for years, maybe their whole life. And I don't mean to be insensitive. And joking about it is just one way of coping with it. But when we realize we're not healthy, we begin to question our worth, our value, and our ability to pursue what is meaningful in our life. We feel vulnerable and afraid. We feel broken. So the church at Corinth had to read Paul's words in this letter and feel exposed. They needed to admit the chaos and scandal that Paul showed them in their own midst, and it had to produce shock and shame. To hear the ways that the body was not working in the passage we looked at today had to make them wonder, if we're this broken and we didn't even realize it, what's the point? Can God use a body that is broken? The good news for Corinthians, the good news for Discoverians, the good news for the whole world is that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. He can. In fact, I'm here to tell you this morning that we can faithfully and confidently argue from Scripture that we must be broken for God to bless and use us. You see, God had to break his own body in order for it to save us. God had to break his own body for it to save us. This happened on the cross, of course, on the way to the cross also, but especially on the cross. This is the reason that in spite of our humanity and tendency to want to push, rebel and push God as far away from us as possible, God works in our brokenness. This is why we love to say no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are welcome here at Discovery. Because you're another broken being joining a group of other broken beings with different stories about how that brokenness happened for sure, but we're joining forces to to declare to a broken world that God loves us and He has a place for us in this family or tribe or community that we call his kingdom. So, in that spirit, I want to offer you a chance today, a chance to get in on the ground floor of a community of followers and skeptics that God is assembling right here at Discovery. No matter how long you've been with us, a few minutes, a few months, a few views, a few years, This is a time to take another step, and we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you today if you want in on what God is doing here. Yes, it's a year of transition. 
We are stumbling out of a season where a global pandemic has forced so much face, uh, so much change, like someone kicked sand in our face. We are in the midst of searching for a new lead pastor. We're in the midst of adjusting our expenses and our expectations to a new, smaller financial reality. But all of this is temporary because we're also in the midst of trusting God to continue to pour out His Holy Spirit on this church. We're in the midst of believing that everything that we've experienced in the past 15 months is preparing us for new ministry opportunities that we can't even see yet. We're in the midst of rejoicing even while we weep. And we're in the midst of suffering while God is in the process of honoring that suffering. So we're going to put a slide on the screen, and I'd like you to use your phone right now. Some of you are already using it to fact-check my uh, comments on Greek culture and history, or maybe signing up for Charles Atlas's course. Um, but I'd like you to use your phone right now and let us know if you want in on what God is up to at Discovery. Now, if you're waiting to fix yourself up enough to belong to a church, forget about it. We want your brokenness commingled with ours. We're as messed up as you are, I can assure you. And if you're waiting to figure out what we believe and stand for, or if you're wanting to figure out what you believe or stand for, just let me ask you this. If you believe that there is a church out there that aligns perfectly with your way of thinking, I would challenge that notion right here and right now. There's no perfect church, not for you, not for any of us. You see, we honor God's work to perfect His church by surrendering our preferences to His and surrendering to each other. So, just text IMIN, in case you're wondering, that's I'm in without the apostrophe, to 888-627-6035. And yes, this does feel a little bit like that one of those televangelist moments. So, uh, But we'd love to hear from you. And we'll get in touch with you and discuss what the next steps for you are in, to journey with us. Let me say this. If you're a member at Discovery, if you've been around here for years, you can do this too. Text IMIN to the number on the screen and share your commitment to Discovery with our leaders and our staff in a time of uncertainty. It would be great to hear from you. Or if you're new to faith, skeptical of organized religion, checking out the claims of Christ, don't know what you believe, you can do this too. We'll meet you where you are and journey with you. Text IMIN to the number on the screen. Or if you're watching online, it's in the chat. You see, the hallmark of the Christian faith is that God always makes the first move. It's God that redeems. Being a 97-pound weakling is not a problem. Being the hero is not about self-improvement. The body of Christ exists as the image of our ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, whose body was broken for our rescue and redemption. So let's worship that God together right now. <laughs> 